Hey everybody, it's Joe here. Thank you so much for listening to Fright School. If you are enjoying Joshua's continued efforts to scare the living daylights out of me, please take a moment to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcatcher. And please tell all your friends about us. Get in on the conversation by following Fright School on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Want to be a guest lecturer on an upcoming episode? Want to be a student? Want to submit a film for consideration? Got a question or more likely a correction for Joshua? Shoot us an email at info at frightschool.com. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hello, Fright Schoolers. Hello, Joe. Hi, Joshua. How are you? I'm great. I'm feeling so good today. Yeah, good for you. Uh, this is fun. We've um, positioned to a different part of the room. I know. We've altered our... We've altered our, our, our seating, our seating, our seating arrangements. arrangements. Yes, yes. Which, I mean, might change again once um, I am going to get a new couch in here. Ooh. Yeah, this is going to be replaced. I'm going to have like a nice... Sh- Chaise lounge. Chaise lounge. Fainting couch. So are you going to like just recline while we're sitting? Mm-hmm. Oh, that would be cool. I might. Could you imagine? Yes. If I just like was laying down prostrate <laughs> just... on the couch. <laughs> yes. You're, you're... I just can't even sit up anymore. Yes. I can't stimulate your prostrate. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Uh, on, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, what am I trying to say? Um, in other good news, you can see a totally different part of the room. Yes. Oh God, there's you know? Pinhead. Uh, yeah, there's Pinhead who you've yet to meet, but you will. You will. You will uh, I can't wait. Um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh. So, how you been? I've been great. How are you? B- uh, wonderful. We've had like lots of time together lately doing things. I know. Are you sick of me yet? No. I always enjoy seeing you. Aww. It's fun. It's good times. I you enjoy know? seeing me too. Yeah. Plus, I mean, you come to my house and we do this here, which is lovely because I have liquor. So and that definitely helps you be a good time. <laughs> <laughs> helps me enjoy your company. Yes. You got to love that. <laughs> Hello, my name is Joshua, and I might be an alcoholic. <laughs> the first step is admitting you have a problem. Uh, you know, things are, the world is crazy. So listen, gotta, I got to have a beverage. Um, every now and then. <laughs> every now and again. Anyways. Especially when uh, it gets super crazy. Yeah, I'm going to keep filling this room up with more stuff. You know, I th- do you think I should paint that wall maybe and then hang everything back up? I don't know. I think that would look nice as like a... An accent wall? Like a gray, you know? Yeah, just because I have all the bookcases over here. You know, I think that wall would look nice if it was like a nice charcoal gray. But, Ooh. You know, what yeah. do you think, listener, that is watching this right now? I know. Podcasts <laughs> are a visual medium, so. Yes. Um, I'm gonna, that's, we're going to change our, our title. It's going to be Fright School Podcasts are a Visual Medium. Yes. That has been an ongoing um, remark. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, let's see. I've been watching AJ and the Queen. Oh. <laughs> Have you watched any of it yet? No. See, I'm surprised. I really thought that'd be something you'd rush right out and binge. No, I'm uh, I'm in the middle right now. If I stop, I will not finish it, but I'm still making my way through Scandal. Oh, okay. So, you know, watching I'm... Watching lots of Scandal. Watching lots of Scandal. Artemis Pebdani, Tony mm. Goldwyn, Jeff Perry... Names. names. I, have, I don't. I know <laughs> these are just names to you. <laughs> I know Artemis. I don't know who the other people yeah. you're talking about are. Um, yeah. Well, Tony I, Goldwyn I is know. the grandson of the guy Louis, of the guy who was in 
who's who's the G in MGM. Ah, uh, yes. So he grandson, great grandson, one of the two, something like that. Yeah, yeah, he's a direct descendant. Some relive who has uh, money and miraculously ended up in the film industry. Imagine exactly. that. Exactly. I know. But you may know him as the man who killed Sam and Ghost. <gasps> is that who that is? Yeah. Yeah. He, he plays uh, the guy who killed Sam and Ghost, and he's a. Uh, um, he plays the president of the United States in uh, that that checks that reads. Yeah, does that come back to haunt him? Is that one of the scandals? That uh, he yes, murdered some guy. Uh, well, he and then it somehow come back from the dead. Everyone has murdered someone. In this oh, show. is that the thing? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's about the president stuff, and I mean, he's like head of the you know biggest murder machine yeah. possible. They, so, besides, like a, agriculture, this is a spoiler, <laughs> but he he does murder a Supreme Court justice in in her death on her deathbed. Oh, like wow. you know, just smothers her, smothers her. You know? Oh wow, well, um, <laughs> lovely. This yes. is great, um, lovely television you're watching. You're like you're telling me, you know, you in your everyday life you're trying to get away from the horror, but here you are. Here I am watching, like you know, presidents killing. The attorney general has, like, you know, a severed head in his freezer. Like, it's just... Hot. It's really hot. That is sexy. Uh, So, besides Scandal, what else is going on? What's happening? What is happening? Oh, my gosh. Uh, We're in January. Have you kind of... Have you got back into the groove at the work? Yeah, I've got back... I guess I've gotten back into groove at work. I do have, like, one... I do have one, quote-unquote, resolution. Oh. It is to... um, it's to bring my lunch every day, at least four out of the five work days. So, you know, I think that's admirable. Yeah, I do too. You know, I've been doing that actually for the last couple months, you know, because I just, I really sat back and I looked at like how much money I was spending just on lunch every day, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you go, well, you got to eat. And next thing you know, you spent $22 on nothing. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you could spend that buying stuff and then have lunch for like a full week. Yeah. And my job, like we have a cafeteria right down the street. So it's just easy to be like, I'll just walk over the cafeteria and give money back to the place that's constantly. Yeah. Like stealing my labor. Yeah. (laughs) Near my, near my office, there's like a little market. So, Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm always at the market buying like, you know, and they have like coffee drinks too. So I'm always getting like, you know. If I need that little pick me up and yeah, meal prepping is a thing, man. Yeah, but you see, know? I don't want to call it meal prepping. Because I know because it has a whole thing. It's a whole thing, and it has it's tied to wellness, and you know, I don't like. And then the idea of like making like brown rice with like you know pathetic roasted skinless boneless chicken breast <laughs> and like broccoli and raw broccoli. Well, I mean, you know, you don't have to make it like white well, people do. N- <laughs> You don't have to make white people chicken. You can you can spice it up. I can, I can some... teach you how to make really delicious chicken that you can use for a variety of things. Ah, yes. <laughs> you know? Show me. Instruct me in your culinary yeah. ways. You know, I don't know. It's like the meal prepping thing. Yes, I agree. It can, can get a little like, you know, because I see people doing it and then they've made like six, seven, eight, you know, whatever of the same exact meal. It's like, you're going to eat that every single day. No, no absolutely not. Variety no. is the spice of life. Yeah. I but will not. You also really, I mean, for me, it's really about cooking at home in general and then making sure like I always overmake. So it's like I've got lunch and it's like even if I don't eat it the next day, I probably can get eat it this, the following day. You know? Yeah, yeah. So it's like that. It's like I've been, I boil a lot of eggs, you know, so I can take those and then I can have, you know, like boiled, you know, I can have a hard boiled egg 
for breakfast. You know, with breakfast. Or I can chop it up and make like salad, you know. So I don't do you have access to a refrigerator at work? Yes, I do. See, you can store stuff. You can store jams and jellies, get you some peanut butter. So I've started bringing uh, mayonnaise. Um, you can make things at work. I, I've started making this my is own. so exciting for our <laughs> listener right now. They're loving every second of it. We this. become so domestic. <laughs> Welcome to this is Fright School Home Economics. Yes, exactly. This is the home economics. Um I've there's coffee and teas at work. Yeah. And I've decided that I want to bring my own because I like, I like having my own because I do the, I do like the French vanilla, like coffee mate, ah. like creamers. So yeah. I was going to do that. And then I, I'm so lazy because like I found this really great creamer. It's a non-dairy creamer called nut pod. Mm. And it's basically, it's like almond milk, but it's also, um, it has like coconut milk in it too and vanilla and it tastes really yummy. Ooh, that does sound good. Um, Yum. It's so, so yummy. Um, and, but the thing is that it has to be refrigerated and I have to like go downstairs to the break room to go get it, which means I have, you know what I mean? Like it's so, I don't like leaving my desk for too long because I like to just pump as much out at work and you know, I, yeah. I don't. I don't like to take too many long trips to like the break room. Ah, uh, um, you are not like me in that, yeah. in that regard. <laughs> yeah, because I definitely believe in lots of breaks, and yeah, the company should pay me to have a few moments of self care. Well, we our building has um, completely outlawed like they used to provide like plastic disposable cutlery and stuff. Mm-hmm. They've completely outlawed that. So now, ah, this is are, where my boneware. Yes. Here's a here's an advertisement. Hey, boneware. Advertisement. Yeah. Hi. Yeah, exactly. So I, I should keep boneware at the at the office. I use it all the time. I really do. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah, they they it's great and it's creepy and weird and it's totally fits me. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody ever mistakes my stuff for theirs. You know, like if somebody's like... walking around with like a bony spoon, I'm like, Hey, <laughs> That is mine, and you may use it, but make sure you wash it and return it to yeah, me. Return it back to me. <laughs> um, but yeah, it never goes missing. So hey, yeah. So I so I took like all of the gift cards from Amazon that I got over the holidays, and I basically did like a giant buy of like stuff for meal prepping and taking lunch. Right. Yeah, t- not hate that word. M- taking lunches from home. So yeah. I bought like a new lunch bag that you can just. It has like the gel freezer gel stuff in the lining so you can just put it in the freezer yes and then i bought new really nice like food containers that are you know not leak proof and new year do you exactly a little crock pot i love that little like it's not even really a crock pot because it doesn't cook it just warms things up but you know if you take the little metal shell and i take it home fill it with nice little goodies and then two hours before i want to eat it i'll drop it in my little warmer and it'll warm it all up and it will be nice and beautifully hot and not um not taste like it got nuked in the microwave yeah no i think that's awesome you know i i also like to make a lot of different like salads and like we'll get like you know get 10 chicken breasts and boil them mm-hmm. and then make i make um a really good curry chicken salad i make a tarragon chicken salad i do this really cool thing with noodles it's like a sesame noodle chicken salad you know and they're all totally different but all basically the same like work you know it's easy to just knock but out a boiled chicken though? it's really because it um it totally falls apart it's really delicious okay yeah i know it sounds weird but it sounds yeah, flavorless it's, it's from I, well that's the thing so it's from when i was working at you know at the at the persian restaurant that i worked in when i was a teenager oh. i learned how to make all this stuff like tabula and um hummus and baba ganoush and stuff oh, like that that's these... why you're so good at that 
<laughs> yeah, I learned all kinds of really cool recipes from um, uh, the woman that that uh, that I worked with there. Uh, it was her restaurant, but yeah. So it sounds like it, but it's like yeah, you boil the chicken, let it totally cool off, and then you just shred it, and then you blend it into these salads, or you can chop it up, and you've got curry powder in there, and I put raisins and carrots and celery and tiny, oops, excuse me, tiny, tiny little bit of um, uh, what's it called that I hate. Um, onions? No, not onions. The um, shoot, it just totally left my brain. It's like people put it on their tacos. It's like green. Oh, cilantro. cilantro. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Tiny bit of cilantro because curry and cilantro really um, go really nice Makes together. It pop. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, you just turn up the volume. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it sounds flavorless, but it ends up being freaking delicious. And I use like Greek yogurt and mayonnaise in the in the sauce mix, oh, you know, okay. to kind of give it like a nice. And it's just like a chicken salad, like exactly. You throw it on bread. I love putting it in pita. Yep, um, with uh-huh. a little bit of like feta cheese sprouts. Boom, you know, <laughs> keep all that in the refrigerator. At work, you're done. Do you 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 boil your eggs like in a pot on the stove, right? Um, is there other, yes, Oh, you have that is. contraption. Yes. So oh, I have right. a, the dash egg cooker that yeah, I brought. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> this is, they're not sponsoring us, but like nobody's sponsoring. I love us. a boiled <laughs> egg. And I, so I just eat like uh, a hard boiled egg outright, you know, maybe put a little yeah, yeah, yeah. side of rice mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe a sausage or two. But, um, what I've been I like doing, balsamic with it. Yes. Yes. Um, and with the boiled eggs, you put it in the dash egg cooker, and it'll cook it in under twenty minutes, fully cooked. And you, and if you adjust the water that you use, because you use a steam to cook it, yeah. you adjust the water that you use. You can do like, you know, a nice kind of like semi-soft, runny, like a ramen type egg. Mm. And then what I've been doing lately is I've been going to Trader Joe's and getting the everything but the bagel seasoning mix, and putting that once the in the morning putting that as the seasoning instead of salt and pepper for the egg yum and it's very good it's like having like a bagel but you know low carbs i love it like the basics say i love this um i hope you're taking notes (laughs) um we have lost everybody yeah everybody was like they skipped ahead of all of all of our horror friends are like where is the horror where is this going um you know well you could break open an egg and find like a little bird in it you know like in dumpling that could be horrifying that's true or it could be someone's abortion you know it's just right the um yes like in jawbreaker yes um all right so yes good on you good health all of that joe eat spend less money spend less money um we need it we have have places to go (laughs) merch and uh, paying for this um ridiculousness to go on exactly (laughs) because at least this part yeah because we've been doing this We've been doing this for a while. We have. We have. This is a very uh, fun uh, episode. We are celebrating 100 episodes. <gasps> 100 episodes yeah. of Fried School. Mind-blowing to me. Um, even even with like that section of time we took off after the first um, season. Yes, we took off. You know off that like we're a... still at 100 episodes. Yes, we did. Like we, we took that time off and then we came back with a vengeance. We did. We did. And uh, we couldn't have done it without all the amazing uh, listeners who listen each week and who share our, our, our whatever this is with the world. 
Uh, so we do really appreciate that. And yeah, I'm very excited. I'm excited for the film today because we are, are going to discuss the cabinet of Dr. Caligari from 1920. So it's a hundred years old. Yes. We're doing a hundred years old oh movie my gosh. Yes. for our hundredth episode. How exciting. And, uh, we will be back to uh, deep dive into that right after these messages. Saturday, February 29th. Throw on your bloody black tie best and join Dark Hills Gaming for a night of dancing, drinking, and horror. All in the name of charity. Proceeds from the Bloody Valentine Ball will go to the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. The ball will be a gore-filled gala that will immerse you in a horror-themed high school dance, complete with prom pictures, interactive events, and a horror memorabilia auction. Two lucky guests will be voted Horror King and Queen, complete with full carry treatment. There will be a bloody bar, so bring cash and your ID. This is a 21-plus only event. Buy your ticket now at darkhillsgaming.com and help us support the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. All righty, welcome back. Um, I'm so excited that Marissa is doing that. I'm very um, excited too. Yes, it's very, very cool. So hopefully anybody who is on the East Coast listening will uh, be interested in, in following up. Or if you're on the West Coast, fly out. Yeah, exactly. Well, of course. Yes. Yeah, you know, resources notwithstanding, just, you know, go just and do it. Just yeah. do it. Just do it. Uh, all right. So we are here uh, celebrating, like we said, 100 episodes and uh, 100 years of the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. 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 I say calligraphy. Caligari. You know what kind of calamari? Do you know? <laughs> yes, of Doctor Calamari. Kari Kari. Harry Kari. Harry Kari. Um, Hari Krishna. Ah uh, yes. Right, um, right, do right. you know what karikari is? Uh, go ahead. So karikari kari is a Filipino food. It's a Filipino dish, Ooh, and it's made of sleepwalkers. Yeah, yes, it's made of sleepwalkers. <laughs> it's made of like insane asylum people. Karikari mm. um, is a Filipino dish that is like beef stewed with like peanut butter. So my friend, my friend Gary always says it's like, he calls it peanut butter meat. It's a uh, kari kari. So, huh. so when I, when I was, when I was saying like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I was telling people like, oh, I'm going to go see, you know, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. And then I just started thinking of fun things to do. Like, oh, God, kari kari, the cabinet of Dr. Kari kari, the cabinet of Dr. Peanut butter meat. Well, you know, I don't want to, um, I would definitely try it, you know, as I was saying before in, in our, in our first segment that, uh, you know, I do the, my sesame noodle chicken salad I make does have peanut butter and soy and sesame oil. Exactly. In the base. If you, if you so. like peanut butter sauces or peanut sauces yeah. and things, you would like, you might like I peanut it would butter be meat. delicious. So run out to your Filipino grocery store and ask for kari kari. Yes. Uh, you'll bring that over later for lunch. I, yes. I, I'm very excited. All right, so back to the horror. Uh, we are <laughs> going to talk about this movie. Um, so, yes, 1920, it's a silent horror film, the first, or silent film in general, the first one we've done on this show, right? Yes, the first any. fully silent, yeah. Yeah, uh, which is exciting. It's also credited um, as being possibly one of the first horror films, which, um, again, when did we establish the first like feature-length film was actually made? Did we establish that? I don't something? know. You said something. 
Um, well, I was thinking, I was asking Joshua when we were watching the film, I'm like, oh, is this the first like feature length film? And I want to say maybe it's the great train robbery. That was the first feature. It looks like the first narrative feature film was the 60 minute, the story of the Kelly gang. Ah, yes. Yes. Uh, um, the great train robbery is not even on any of this, but there was other feature films made in 1911, 13, 12, you know, mm. so regardless, this still, you know, even if it was the first considered the first horror film made, it's still one of the earliest films in general. Yeah. You know, from the, you know, the beginning of film and it's a horror film. Yeah. You know? Roger Ebert said this is probably the first horror feature. Very Narrative cool. horror feature. So still, even from the earliest days of cinema, what did we make? Horror. Okay. Horror endures. All right. Horror so, endures. No more of this like conversation about you know niche or you know genre. Horror is very important, <laughs> so important that it's you know one of the earliest films ever made. It's exactly. a horror film. See, Anyways, I, that's just kind of going into. I just mentioned the Great Train Robbery because there's a famous scene at the end of it where it looks like the train is going to go into the or the train's going to go into the audience and they yeah. had like people at the time had no idea that it was not going to, they weren't going to die. So they were like running away from it. Like that oh. was the power and the newness of cinema at the time is that they had this, you know, it was people playing with the form in such a way that it like looked like they were going to get run over by this train. And then I think in the beginning, it's the famous shot of like the guy dresses a cowboy um, shooting someone shooting yeah. the audience with a gun. And, like, again, playing with that idea that, like, this is an image of a person, but they're not actually there. Right. Because introducing it to modern audiences and how revolutionary that was at the time. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, very cool. You know, I mean, the film has always been able to do that. You know, even now, like, we still, you know, you can jump at something that you know is fully you know, it's imaginary. It is on the yeah. screen. <laughs> Nothing is going to jump out of it at you. At least not yet. I mean, maybe we'll get there in the future. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so this uh, film uh, directed by Robert Vina. 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 Yeah, Vina. Yeah. W-I-E-N-E. Yeah, written Vina. by Hans, uh, Hans uh, Genovitz and Carl Mayer or Meyer. Uh, it's a, uh, German expressionist film. Yes. Obviously. And, uh, yeah. So it deals with, uh, Dr. Caligari and his, uh, sleepwalking slave and, uh, a, a coffin cabinet thing. Yes. <laughs> and what is it? Uh, what did we decide that the pronunciation of the slave, the sonambulist? Well, when I look it up, cause yeah, cause it's spelled C E S A R E. And then mm -hmm. later in the film, once it's revealed that, uh, the doctor's inspired by this Caligari from Italy, I have to assume that it's Cesare. Cesare. That's like the Cesare. Yeah. That's the Italian, uh, pronunciation, at least that I could find. So likely Cesare. I've heard yeah. that other you know ways as well like um um in other films like caesar cesare well yeah but i mean cesare but yeah. yes definitely could be caesar could be you know all of those things yeah in the sense that um caesar yeah caesar. Um, <laughs> but it's spelled in such a way that makes me think that it's probably cesare from the italian ah. um but again with some of the conversation in the film about war and all of that you know there's sort of intention there i think to be inspired by caesar yeah, you know. especially how he kills 
the victims is with a knife. Like yeah, but now Caesar dies by the knife, but also like the um, the war, or like the emperor, you know, mm-hmm. imperialism mm-hmm. of Caesar, which the film may be speaking to. Uh, not Caesar in general, in particular. But imperialism war in general. In general. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah. So, what did you think? Joe, I was a, uh, I was surprised that I was pretty wrapped by it. You know, I was, I was, uh, um, again, like I always struggle with the, with these really early horror films, mm-hmm. um, because you know I, I am of the millennial mindset, and it, I feel like sometimes I'm just like I want to be interested, but like I get really bored really quickly with these types of films, and I found myself being pretty wrapped by it. Um, I, (laughs) I was like, oh, they really are enjoying, um, they really were not concerned with any sort of realism, which I thought was really interesting to be for like the first horror film, basically like the first, one of the first films, narrative features in general Mm -hmm. to be like not concerned with realism at all. And you can see how the monster you know, Cesare, we can see how the monster influenced other monsters. It's Dracula, it's uh, King Kong, it's Frankenstein. There's all these different uh, classic monsters that are referenced by it. So it was, uh, it, it, I, th- I think this is a very good pick, Joshua. Like this is a very, very good pick. Well, thank you. I did want to find something that we could kind of coincide with, you know, uh, with a hundred episodes. I was like, well, what was, what's, what was made a hundred years ago? And that popped out. And it's also cool because it's, it's a film that, uh, again, it's German, you know, so, so our first season was about like American film. So we didn't start with what is considered the first horror film. We started with an early American produced, you know, Dracula and then kind of went from there. So it's nice to show you this now when you have a visual language and, um, an awareness of who Frankenstein is in, you know, in the, in the thirties film or Dracula or Nosferatu, um, and having seen those films and seeing yeah. how mm-hmm. this film, I do think, really established a lot of those kinds of tropes early of how, you know, villains are going to behave or how monsters are going to be portrayed. Um, and again, he's also very sympathetic, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like Frankenstein and like King Kong um, and like the creature from the Black Lagoon, which we will be watching soon. Um, you know, you, you, and on and on and on. You know, there's plenty of, of quote unquote monsters that um, it's either people controlling them or, or elements, you know, of of the of the story where they're, you know, victims. Yeah. And it begs it again. It's like. Who is the monster? Yes. Right? Is it the person? It is. The, is it the slave that commits the murder, or is it the person that pulls the strings? Exactly. Which is why this film gets a lot of interpretation, and I, I don't even think it's interpretation. I think that the the writers have been very explicit. You know, one of them had been involved in World War One and left with a very disaffected, um, or um, what do you want to call it, disillusionment of the military. The oh, other yeah. one faked a mental illness to get out of the military. It's very like the it's the lost generation is yeah. all over. And so they, there's a very, you know, pointed kind of conversation about the men in charge forcing, you know, young people to do their dirty work, you know, for, to, 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 you know, so they can reap the rewards of that, the resources, 
money or whatever comes from, you know, warmongering and imperialism. And so I think that there's a, I find Cesare to be very sad in that way. You know, this sort of, um, the victimhood of soldiers. Yeah. It's, it's interesting cause you, in that regard, it's like, we don't ever look at the person pulling the strings. We look mm-hmm. at the person who is the direct perpetrator of it. Yeah. And it's like that, that distance absolves it because they are not the one they're not, Caligari is not the one holding the knife, but he is responsible for the killing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. So it's yeah. it's that interesting thing, again, like in terms of like imperialism in a military industrial complex, like reading of it. It's that it, it's not so much that the soldiers are to blame. It's the people who send them. Yeah. And this is still, you know, before World War Two. So it's kind of, um, you know, Cesare, the character does um, fortune telling as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um prophecy and so it's interesting that this film coming out of germany that's about to see the rise of the nazi party very very soon you know after this film is made and then you have that same conversation happening after the horrors of world war ii and you know the holocaust and all that with um people saying i was just doing what i was told yeah you know Mm -hmm. so it's just it's very uh prescient i guess in that way you know although it doesn't take much of you you know i mean it's like if we're living like now it's like we're seeing lots of you know horrors committed every day and i know that those same story you know those same conversations are going to happen and i've even seen that with people that i you know that i've engaged with that have been soldiers that you know where i'm critical or i post an article or or i talk about something and you know they want to kind of jump and it's like man be real careful with the i was just following orders thing <laughs> yeah exactly you know even though i do i i just it's comp it's complex it's complex because know? in this situation it's really the the villain is very clear that it's caligari because caligari mm. is the one that not only preyed on a preyed on a weaker being you know by being so you know mm-hmm. again we we discover that in as in the retelling Caligari is actually the head of a um, head of a mental institution director of a mental institution that has you know found a somnambulist and is basically created this nefarious purpose it's a ten dollar word there it's an, I know it's a, somnambulist somnambulism somnambulism so um, sleepwalking sleepwalker and he is the one who like preyed on him and molded him in this image. And so at that point, it's like, it really draws the focus that the person responsible is Caligari because the other person, you know, can't help but be taken from it. Like, yeah, has no, yeah. has no, He's under this like hypnotism. This, exactly. Yes, yeah, the yeah, idea yeah. of Zero like agency. his, he is slave to, the will. Yeah, yeah. Which, again, can get readings, not only, like, military and all of that, but I also think of, um, you know, wage slavery and workers just, you know, having to do what they're told so as not to, you know, lose their house or lose their life. You know, there's a, there's a lot that can be um, pulled from this sort of story. Yeah. Um, you know, it's... I, again, I, I think that it's endured for so long because you know, we, I was saying when we were talking, uh, we were just watching and, um, I was talking about it. It's, it is like the prototypical slasher film as well. Yes. (laughs) You Uh know, it's so like, you know, before we had a word for that, you know, you have, you know, 
small town stalked by knife wielding maniac, you know, or strangler, you know, a stranger um, comes to town. All exactly. Of a sudden, it has all those happening. same, you know, elements of like, you know, urban sprawl and, you know, the urban noia thing that we talked about recently on, on one of our episodes or like Halloween, you know, of like, you know, the suburbs are not safe. This small idyllic town with all of its weird edges and, <laughs> um, you know, intense uh, lines and shadows uh, still is a safe place for these people that has been invaded. And so it's like, it's, it's interesting to see that as early as 1920, you know, and again, back and back and back in novels and things like that. These are not new concerns. No, these are not new ideas. And I I just, I find that very, very fascinating that it's you, we just see like the proof, like over the hundred episodes that we've done examining the horror that we have and what's to come. Like we're still, we're seeing these lines, you know, continue to be, uh, very important to humans. You know, mm-hmm. we, we haven't solved the some of these um, complex psychological, social um, anxieties still in 100 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we'll, it's cool we'll to see how far... We'll be afraid of the other. I yeah. Think, I think it's very... It's very... It's very clear, and I think fair to say that we will always be afraid of the other. We will be afraid of what it is that we don't know. Yes. Um people who don't look like us that are different from us and one as long as that's being perpetuated by others too i mean as long as it's profitable and you know i think as well you know because it's it's a two twofold Mm -hmm. well it's not two it's a multi-fold (laughs) multi-fold yeah (laughs) issue but also you said something that i thought was very cool about you know in a hundred years of cinema we've gone from caligari to like the avengers you know and it is kind of amazing like I don't think of a hundred years as that long, you know, to be honest. Um, not when you look at millions of years or millennia, you know, that, that sort of thing. So it is, it is amazing how much we've achieved as humans, um, in a short amount of time to, from these like cut, you know, cardboard looking type, you know, freaky sets and, you know, silent film to like CGI. And yeah, and- I think that's something to be, um, in wonder of. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And to and to just know that this this film they were not concerned with realism. Like that you mm-hmm. know, I feel like it's always it's interesting cuz early films they wanted to capture as much of the natural world as possible. That was the beauty of like the early shorts, the early Edison shorts of like, you know, seeing people dancing and birds flapping their wings and things like that. Like those were all in an effort to show recorded movement and to show things that are not in front of you, in front of you in a different way. And to have in this structure to basically create like a, like this really interesting story using, uh, using like, you know, German expressionist window, very crooked and, you know, their hyper realism set. Exactly. Like they, to suggest madness, to suggest the odd nature of everything that's going on in the, uh, odd nature of everything that's happening in the, in the film. Um, I think that's very cool because like then you have movies like the Avengers Endgame where, you know, this is it's real, but it's also very not real because yeah. of the different things that are happening in there. And it's, it, you know, we've we've always we've been using stories and symbolism in that way. And I just think it's yeah, I, again, a uh, hundred years is a long time, but it's also not it's not yeah. a long time in in 
in um in human history and to see how far we've come yeah. is um something to be something to kind of be um in awe of yeah absolutely i um used the wrong word i said hyper real when what i meant was hyper stylized mm. and um you can see the influence of this film on countless others um you know countless other productions obviously i think of tim burton you know his his films really feel like you know he saw this movie early on and and it like stuck with him you know that sort of the the black and the white and the the weird crooked edges of things and the twists of of reality but then you have characters with these pale white faces and dark set eyes and you know it's very it, it's very much the Tim Burton aesthetic, you know, yeah, absolutely. First, again, a film that came out in 1920 to, I, I think to have that. And then of course, right after we watched it, I showed you, um, Rob Zombie's living dead girl video, which is, you know, t- is just a remake. Yeah. Almost uh, shot for shot. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's just interesting to see how it's echoed, you know, into the future. And I, I'm, I'd be curious to see what somebody would do with that. Like now, like we haven't seen anything like this in a while. No, I, 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 It'd be. In, I think. In. I think it's interesting because we. We probably. It's more. It was very theatrical, so we've definitely seen it in the theater. Yes, but because. I agree with that. But because cinema is all about like you know, is most some of it is like the hyper real. You'd have to really. It would have to be super conceptual to. Yeah. To do it that way, or to do it in an interesting way. Um, yeah, conceptual. That's a good point. What was that film that came out where it's like they're all in like a giant warehouse, dog something? Um, is I think Nicole Kidman. Might, no, what is that film? Mm. It's like they're in this big open space, and they're it's like they're not. There's not houses, but they act as if there are. They're acting as if there's a like a set. Uh, I think I know what you're talking about, but I don't. I thought it was dog something. Because <laughs> it's like they're acting as if they, you can see everything that's going on. Yeah. Right? We've talked about this before. Dogville? Uh, is that what it is? Uh, possibly. Yeah. Yeah, Dogville. Baron Soundstage is stylishly utilized to create a minimalist small town setting. Um, I think that's the last time we saw something um, in film that was sort of this amount of... Um, conceptualism uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. in the modern in the modern era which i'm not saying that they were directly in you know influenced by caligari i'm just saying it's um another way that i think that 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 sort of um bold artistic direction <laughs> yeah you know, sort of echoes, but anyways, that's a kind of very a, like deliberate choice in yeah, in, the in way that scene looks, design, in set design, yeah, in yeah. order to evoke something. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, again, like the films of Tim Burton are like that. You know, you you think of Beetlejuice, you think of Batman. You know, there is this very particular um, style happening. Um, you know, and I'm I'm sure there's countless others. Um, you know that that we have seen. Um, Obviously, I think that the other big uh, influence here is like uh, on noir film, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the use of shadows and the use of lighting, I think really kind of influenced people, you know, in the 40s and the 50s. I think that I think that can be credited to uh, to this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And again, noir is also it's also very stylized, but it's mm-hmm. more rooted in reality. So it's like, you know, just kind of like that step down from exp- from German expressionism. Yeah. And it it's very, yeah, actually shadows and all of that. Definitely. 
Yeah. Um, I just, I just think it's an interesting connection. Um, I like how, um, so talking about like, you know, there's kind of the little twist in the end of the movie that when it first started, you know, they show this close up, uh, or like this, um, um, what do you call like panoramic shot of the village and you were like oh the houses look like um like flames the way they're kind Mm -hmm. of stacked and i was like yeah kind of you know makes you think of hell and i i already knew kind of you know where the film goes and what the twist is and all um not kind of why do i say that i've seen the movie before uh (laughs) you know but i thought that was a very interesting thing to say early because it's um it does kind of remind me of like of hell of people like trapped, you know, yeah, in, uh-huh. in someone's imagination, which is what kind of happens. This film takes like a wizard of Oz turn at the end. And you find out that the story that this gentleman has recounted, um, it, cause it starts with this old man and this young man and this woman wanders by and he's like, Oh, you know, I, um, that's I my love. Her. Yeah. And we've, we've suffered this horrible thing. And then, so he tells them his, this story about Dr. Caligari coming to town with Cesare and, you know, the murders that, that happen in, in, in this small town and that they've suffered from it. But then you find out that the, you know, at the end, the, the young man is actually part of the, is a mental, um, is a, is a patient in this asylum and he has cast the other inmates and then of course the people, you know, that are controlling them as characters in this fantasy of his. That it is been... hallucination, it sounds like. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly, because he believes it's real, you know, mm-hmm. just as Dorothy believes she went to Oz. And she comes back, and her uncles are there, and, you know, everybody everybody was there, yeah. you know. Um, it was very real to her, and, and that's a question. And so you get this, like, dual reality kind of happening where, because when Dr. Caligari comes in, um, he's, like, a more benevolent warden of this place you know director medical director i guess of of this asylum and he's like oh you know i now i understand what he's thinking you know with this story that he's that he's telling and i think i can help him you know so i just i i i just think of oz in that way yeah i immediately thought of shutter island oh okay because have you seen you've seen shutter island that's with leonardo dicaprio dicaprio yeah yeah i because the twist is I mean, again, spoiler alert for a film that came out, you know, <laughs> within the last 10 years, but it's it's similar. So he thinks he's this person who is investigating crazy, investigating disappearances on in this asylum, when at the end you find out that it's all his hallucination. Yeah, that, he's, and that he, he is. is the person yeah. per, who portrayed, you know, and it's just like, wow, that's such an... It was such an interesting twist, especially given the time period. Yeah, that like it has it's in, that it's endured this this far. Yeah, and and those kinds of twists have endured till this day. That's really interesting. Yeah, we enjoy a twist uh, a twist ending. In we a do like a twisty <laughs> twisty turny. Um, I d- I read that they were forced to have that um, that kind of frame story, and then you know the twist. Uh, but I guess there's you know it's interesting because this film you know, because it came out in, in 1920 and, you know, again at that time, you know, you're making films because you could mm-hmm. and you're not necessarily maybe documenting everything, uh, you know, some of the people involved in the production, you know, passed away not too long after it or died early before the film really achieved any sort of like cult recognition that it kind mm-hmm. of has now. Um, or, you know, that film history of like studying it. So a lot of the, 
uh, production notes or or production stories are are lost, or people took credit for stuff that they didn't do because the person that did it was dead, or you know whatever. So I, it, there's a lot of um, when I was kind of reading different papers for this, there was a lot of um, um, conjecture about what was in the original script because I guess one of the few surviving copies was uh, was. Um, um, oh shoot! What was his name? The the guy who played Caligari. He had he had a copy of, of it the script. When people thought that they were lost, uh, Werner Krauss, and he refused to part with it, so nobody could get their hands on it till he died in the seventies. And I guess there's now a transcript of it, which I did not look up. But it does include a frame story, but it's different than mm. than what uh, was filmed. Uh, so they were probably you know, working last minute as happens. <laughs> uh, something else I did. Um, so we have some other, we've watched some other films for episodes that are, that are coming up after this. And it was interesting because you said that you had studied this film, at least as part of, I had an intro to film analysis course yeah. or, and, uh, well, no, I had an, in, um, uh, a film industry course in college okay. that talked a little bit about, like, it, it talked about the, the origins of the film industry going all the way back to, um, Thomas Edison and the Black Mariah and the eventual, how he basically, he basically chased all of the people who wanted to make films to the West Coast and that's how the studios on the West Coast were founded, primarily from Jewish immigrants and, and, so, but we we talk about Caligari specifically because of its place in uh, place in film history as like this one of the first narrative films, German expressionism, how that style endures to this day. So, we did, uh, you know, that's kind of you know, again, people who are like AKA film school people or you know have studied early media, it always comes up. This film will always come up because yeah. of um, because of how kind of groundbreaking it was for the time and you know the legacy that it still has but there was just something we were watching i don't want to say what it was because we're gonna it's gonna come up on a on a future episode um not this particular conversation but the the film but you were like oh well like that that's from caligari yeah like it there there are things with the windows because the windows the expressionism of windows are always interesting how they're um when you're watching when you're watching film and then like you know th- shadows happen with the window that kind of twist the windows in different ways it's to suggest you know directors it can be implied that directors are doing that to suggest that everything is not quite what it seems and uh. the different framing of things within these windows and it's used in westerns as you know this german expressionist window cuz in the film the windows are very like crooked like they're yeah, just yeah yeah the doors everything you know everything's so crooked and the doors or the windows are crooked and cast these like nefarious shadows and there are ways that directors have um done that with have suggested that using um yeah bending but using bending with shadow and light so yeah there are it, it still happens to this day as like you know, mm-hmm. film school references to Caligari. Yeah, it was that, and then they're like framing devices. There was something about the yeah. way that a, a scene was framed that you were like, oh yes, this is very like kind of originated there, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. or is kind of, or people maybe don't know it, and that's what's kind of you know, that's what's very interesting about. Um, this film kind of setting the tone for a lot of future or a lot of um, horror to come in, in the future of it, you know, is that 
people watching it then, you know, if you've not seen it yet, you know, you go in and you watch it and you don't yet know that those visual clues are there, that this is all a hallucination. You know, this is all a dream. This is all something that, you know, somebody has imagined. You're just, you go along with the way it looks because this is, you know, the town or whatever is just how it looks. Um, Or you're used to seeing, you know, theater production. So of course it looks like a stage, you know, of course it looks like, um, a set, you know, theater sets and things like that. But it does, it, it establishes so much that will, um, continue into horror into the film I'm talking about is from 2017, you know, is it still using that something established in Caligari as its visual language? Yeah, absolutely. You know, that, that, that's, there are several things rooted in that, you know? And again, like I said, you go back, trace back the slasher to this film, you know, that kind of, that's uh, the, the sort of story that it is, um, you know, the monster movie can be traced back, you know, and of course those also exist in, in books and in novels before that, but to, t- to tell it in a visual way, in a visual language, yeah. specific types of cuts or frames or lighting. And then you see that in films in the thirties, obviously in the forties and fifties, but then even now I, I just think is very, um, uh, it's awesome. You know, again, it, it shows the influence because not even in horror. I mean, these same, like what you're saying that it's used in other films as well, you know, to, to tell a certain type of story, to give the, the, the viewer a clue about something Yeah, pervades other types of media as well. You know, other genres besides horror. And I just think that that, um, again, this is just, you know, celebrating a hundred years of, of a film that has influenced, um, countless, productions after it is a horror film you know yeah and we're you know we're still fighting uh the dismissive the dismissiveness around horror yes yes and even in ourselves you know being careful to talk like what is elevated horror like what what does that mean like it's a word in order to make people feel better about a a, a horror film of of like oh but this is one you take seriously like there's plenty to be said in all kinds of of horror and i just i love that that um that that conversation is coming up more and more, you yeah. know? So and if, anyways, and if you think about like, you know, with the renewed conversation about camp yeah, um, and, and its place in the world and how like, you know, is it, it's high culture, low culture, but then camp is now high culture, you know, like it's just yeah. it, like, is there, can it, it it's, it's hard when you're talking, when I talk about horror, I have to remind myself to not sound too elitist right. and to, you know, it's always a teaching moment of people. It's just when people talk about certain things, it's just like, no, like that's horror. And, you know, you, you, like you say that you don't like these things, but you also like true crime, which right. is a different kind of, a different kind of horror. Yeah. You know, and that be- echoes, you know, you're, you're getting the same adrenaline rush or that same, um, you know, taste of death you exactly. know, that you're getting out of horror or that just wanting to feel that, you know, uncomfortable feeling, you know, you're getting that out of true crime or CSI or, you know. Yeah, but it's coming, but like instead of, you know, a knife wielding rapist, it's a knife wield, it's Michael Myers. like Right. Which, you know, because it's... Uh, people it's like they want to be scared they like having that release but it's a it's the degree of the the intensity is not something that that they 
uh, that they play with. So like, yeah. they don't want it to be too intense, like Halloween. They want it to be, you know, a yeah. police procedural. Yeah. But it's just interesting. Cause it's like people that love, you know, silence of the lambs. It's like, well, that's a horror film, you know? And, um, it, you know, plays on those same, you know, I don't, I mean, I use silence of the lambs as like, as a suggest, uh, as a, as an example often, because it is one where I feel like I do have that conversation a lot more about whether or not what yeah, kind yeah, of film yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then of course we've had plenty of times on the show thrillers and you know, that kind of, you know, like what does that mean exactly? Um, you know, so I just thought that this was the perfect film to celebrate, um, because one, it's made it a hundred years. That's freaking amazing, and um, hopefully there'll be something we should actually look around. Them. There's got to be celebrations of it. Oh yeah, there should it's be coming up. Yeah, um, and, but also as like uh, for our hundredth episode to kind of look at, at you know to look at the entire history of what we've done and see you know echoes of of the cabinet of Dr. Caligari and all of it. You know, yeah, absolutely. and to still be able to watch it and get you know it's still relevant with its anti-war conversation with its exploitation, human experimentation conversation. That's still, I mean, you know, you think of all the films, you know, that have, you know, the human centipede, for instance, mm-hmm. you know, obviously mm-hmm. we're mm-hmm. still dealing with, um, your feelings around that, um, um, human experimentation. I mean, like, I have a lot of feelings about the human centipede. So. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But I just mean like that exploitation, uh, you know, with the sideshow thing there and, and we still, you know, culture is still dealing, you know, and, and examining like, you know, what, what is or isn't a freak. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and how, and how those of us who self identify or, or do, you know, are proudly freakish seeing, you know, how, how we might be exploited. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. not me, I, I mean, but I just, you know, the, uh, collective idea of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, so, Anyways, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. It is a fun film. Yeah. Um, it's it's perfect. I'm I'm actually thinking that maybe next for the next Gore Fest, I might do a whole bunch of films like that. You know, it'd be really fun to see you all painted up in grays and blacks. You know, Ooh. Get everybody come black and white. Ah. Come to my black and white ball. Ghoul, uh, <laughs> it's like a Gore Fest noir. Yes, exactly. Ah. Noir blanche. <laughs> <laughs> this is black white. Yeah, it's I, just I black enjoy and that. White. Um, I enjoy that. I, I had a th- I have a thought where it, like when you're <sighs> uh, I know it's shocking. Uh, what if we like? I, I feel like if I was responsible for like raising a child, um, which is a horrifying thought in and of itself. Yeah, but if I was responsible for raising a child, I would probably like very early on show them like silent films. Just because, like, you know, give them give them the very basis of, you know, because, like, it's all, those would be all things that they would, you know, because, again, like, you know, teaching children object permanence, right? Like, right. So we would show them, like, the old, the, the different, the Edison shorts and show them the great train robbery. And it's all things that they would enjoy because they're, you know, children. And it's something new and it's different and getting their reactions from that and seeing how, you know, this is not to be dismissive or to infantilize the early audience, the first audiences that saw these films, but like, you know, we're living in an age where, you know, we have like, we have literally created galaxies and shown them on films with armies of aliens. It would be interesting to like show a young child, um, all of these early, 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 early cinema, and then like later on show them, you know, show them a progression until they grow. Hmm. 
I don't know. That's interesting. You should talk to a child uh, psychologist about these things. You should. And your own therapist as well, because I'm not sure about this. I mean, if you're seeing a therapist, because maybe you should, Joe. <laughs> well, I do. I do see a therapist. Yay. Shout out to my therapist. I won't say his name. <laughs> Good. That's a smart idea. Shout out to my therapist. Good. Yes. Ther- therapy is great. Everybody should have therapy. Yes. Um, all right. Well, again, happy 100 episodes, Joe. Happy 100 episodes. I was going to get a cake with 100 candles I on it. I almost bought but... peanut butter meat to, you know, to give you. Oh, that would have been a lovely gift. <laughs> wrapped up. Just wrapped up in a little yeah. box. We could have had a little party. Just, just adieu. 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 Yeah, the, a little, a pas de deux. But yes, um, makes you proud to look back and, and say hey we got 100 episodes can and you can you think you can name your top two favorite episodes two favorite films well no that's too hard but i mean i really i i do think that our our um silence of the lambs episode was very good i think our conversation that was really good and I, that's kind of what I, I look at i'm like i just think like you know we've had a lot of really good conversations on this yeah, uh, we have. Podcast. We've also met some incredible people. I think of, you know, of Michael Verratti and Sam Weinman and Chelsea Stardust. And um, we have uh, somebody coming up that we I don't want to say yet. Up, Jack Chesson. It's very excited. Jack Chesson. I know I'm getting there. I'm like just trying to jump through all the all the people. You know, we've had tons of friends on this show. All his guest lecturers that have contributed incredible conversations. You know, I think of our thinner talk with Adrian. And, you know, I think yeah. of our, you know, with Laura, we did the... Um, uh, 28 days later, you know, that was a really fun conversation, even though it went off the wall, way off the fucking wall. New year, new you with <laughs> yeah. Ashley. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. it's just, it's been great. Um, uh, we adore all of you. So if we left your name off, we of course do not, you know, no, no, nothing no meant slightest. by omission. Exactly. You know, uh, Matt Kelly and, you know, and, and, um, Jackie from Jersey ghouls. And this, <laughs> I mean, everybody, there's just so many people that this has just been such a fun, ride you know and exactly. what's exciting is every time i get terrified that i have nothing else to like think of to say um i read something and go oh my gosh that's like a whole series of episodes so you know we just we just plotted out the next couple of months of ideas of what we're going to do that i'm very excited about so you know fright school's not going anywhere so you know we're it's not a free public service so we're exactly. here exactly <laughs> we would love to be we would love to be a paid public service so yeah. you know feel free That's to kind put of a hard money. thing you yeah. know paid public service um, um, a paid public service is like you know uh water sewer your yeah. public work right school is as important as water <laughs> absolutely <laughs> exactly we're drink your fright school, we're a people. we're a public works we are uh, yes um, if you collect both and of that's us, W E R Q exactly uh, like public works. If you collect both wax. of us, uh, in monopoly, you know, we're, uh, four times as much in the dice, right? Is that what the, the utilities, public utilities, something like that. Yeah. yeah. 10 times, I think. Ooh, it? 10 times. Yeah. So the if you dice roll, it's something a, like that. I can't it's remember. the dice roll, whatever the dice roll is. And then, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Some monopoly enthusiast is going to be like, you fucking bitch. idiots. Uh, yeah. Alrighty. Well, again, thank you, Joe, for a hundred episodes, and here's to a hundred more because we've got them in. We we know we 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 have got it in us. Yeah, we have <laughs> we have we have the spirit. Uh, the horror spirit is alive and well. I do uh, get the spirit in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> what? Um, Aretha. Is that a? I, oh, I don't in know that. The spirit. No. Getting it in the dark. <laughs> No. No. All right. Well, I'll play it for you, and then you'll know. It's a great song. Anyways, um, (laughs) 
Yeah. How dare you? 100 more episodes of me not knowing what Josh was talking about. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and me knowing all too well what Joe was talking about. Yes. All right. Well, uh, all I can say is thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. And um, you all are you're, – you're the best audience. So – and uh, we appreciate you sticking around. So, and Joe, I love you. And, uh, I love you, Joshua. Sleep well. Good night. Good night. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.